evening. Uh, just a, a few verses from Revelation, the, the last um, part of the Bible, the very end. But from chapter 1, uh, this opening section of Apostle John, chapter 1, verses 16 through to 18. Just in the context, uh, it's, it's on the Lord's Day, which we take to, to understand as Sunday. They were gathering for worship, and John uh, has this revelation, this vision, and his voice, and he sees and hears. Verse 16. Well, I'll just, uh, let me pick up a little before. Sorry, Chris, we'll pick up, I'll just read the context. Don't, you don't have to refine it, just hold it there. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a gold sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white as like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I remember being in primary school. I can't remember what year. Because uh, it was all a little bit of a blur now. And um, we, I remember early on in, in kind of infant school, I think it was, distinction of early primary versus later primary. And uh, the school, uh, the, my teacher, I think it might have been Mrs. Croft, asked us to write a poem or a little bit of story, a description about our family and particularly what our mum and dad were like and what they did. And um, I think we'd been, I don't know quite why, but I, I remember writing this thing and kind of handed it in. And the next I knew about it was my mum and dad wanted to talk to me about what I'd written. And I thought I was in trouble. But they were, the, the teacher had sent it back saying, we're not entirely sure what Edward is thinking. He's got it around because I, for some reason I talked about their hands. And I described mum as having hard and calloused hands. And dad had soft and gentle hands. And she was like, I, I think this got the wrong way. And mum was a little bit upset because she spent all that money on oil of ule, I think it was, or oile, <laughs> one of them, at the time. And, and they thought, why, you know, and I think it genuinely was because dad used to go to work in office and mum was like doing all the house stuff. And it just seemed that her hands were harder and more callous than dad's. Uh, my teacher was entertained. Young people write things, I have the privilege of being godfather to some children, and um, I, for one of them, particularly my goddaughter, uh, she, from time to time, has come out with things, and I've been recording them, with her permission, uh, for at some point in her future life, when I will perhaps have to speak about her, and I thought I'd share one of those with you. Maybe she'll listen to this, I don't know. Anyway, so she was five and a half, 
And she said to her daddy, Daddy, why does mummy do all the work? Daddy says, what do you mean? My goddaughter says, well, mummy gets me up, gets me breakfast, gets me dressed, and you just sit. I think he was a little bit contentious. Uh, imagine asking a young child, perhaps one you know, or have been part of maybe your own family or relations. Have you ever asked them, or they've been sent home from junior church or school, and they've been asked to draw their family? And, uh, and this is particularly true from a young age. And the odds are that you get amusing kind of outcomes, well, maybe arms sticking out of head or something like that. And um, I came across uh, these. There's a raft of them on the good old Google, so uh, that is one of them. Kind of nice, isn't it? I mean, interesting hairstyle uh, going on um, in the lady in purple. I think it's the lady. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, the next one, please, Chris. Um, is it a bird? Is it a plane? I don't know. Uh, it's good. And uh, next one, please, Chris. There's mum. <laughs> it's a little fierce, I think. Uh, and the last one I, I came across, uh, it says, my dad is an employee. He likes drinking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very happy indeed with his short trousers. Anyway, so um, I've never been particularly good at art, but I thought they were quite entertaining. I guess in those images, they, they may look like a person, and I guess they do, they're representative. But we understand that from a child's perspective, it's kind of a, it's a limited, not hopelessly, but very, very, very limited perspective. You see, we know that to convey the true reality takes proportion that involves adding lots of parts that were missing to those pictures. Depth, perspective, clarity of attempting to define something on paper that is 2D actually in a larger-than-life 3D capacity. And of course, they've given it their best shot. But a child of that age is simply unable to draw something as complex and as beautiful that captures character and essence as well as form. I think the challenge for most of us, if we're asked to describe Jesus, we come up with something akin to that of a child's drawing. In our morning's sermons, messages that we've been working through from one of another of John's letters, this one, Revelation, but just before that in the Bible's order, there is one called One John, and he also wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote five parts. John is really clear that he wants to describe Jesus, of who he is, his nature, his character, his being, of who he is and what he is. That he's very much center stage and of absolute significance. In relating to God the Father, we have to understand Jesus. We can't marginalize him and put him at the side. Because we'll fail, actually, if we do that, to understand God at all. John, at the beginning of his wondrous gospel, says he is the word made flesh. The full revelation later on of God, the Father. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus, the Son, me, said Jesus, quoting. 
Yesterday I was talking to someone about the place of Jesus in life and faith. A friend of theirs who had grown up as a Christian was sort of self-describing themselves as on a journey of spiritual discovery. And it seemed in his description, and his understanding of what that looked like, that this person was actually moving away from a trust and a belief in Jesus Christ and was seeking to, to, to find more inspiration from things that were far more unclear and undefined. He described it as this person who was wanting to hear from God through, through the stars or finding God in coincidence and, and, the, uh, and of the, the way numbers interact. And said so that is how God speaks to her. In our discussion over, over lunch, I, I had to make the point that that's entirely regressive. That as Jesus is... The exact representation of the Father, that He is the Word made flesh, that He is God's fullest revelation to us. To move away from Jesus now, to sideline Jesus, to not embrace fully the wonder of Jesus Christ is actually to fail to find truth. Believe it or not, it's 40 days till Christmas today. So the shops tell me. And Jesus at uh, this time of year is in often many ways in soft focus. Candlelit. Our nation understands at least in part that Jesus is part probably about Christmas and something to do with a baby in a manger wrapped in cloths. No crying he makes. Push a little further and the perspectives of who and what Jesus is like. Perhaps, perhaps he's a good teacher. Yeah, of course, amongst others. Wise, yes. Dispenser of teachings on a mountainside, surrounded by sheep and people. What a nice scene. Or perhaps from a wooden cross with a face peering down in sadness. Or perhaps the more Curious, the ascension, a mysterious figure levitating from a mountainside into the clouds dressed in a long dressing gown. All those ways of seeing Jesus and describing Jesus are partial and based on the scriptures, but ultimately limited. An adult in our age in Britain is simply unable to picture something as glorious as the risen Jesus. John helps us. Of course, that, that Jesus was John's friend. That John was an apostle, a disciple, one of the early ones, the beloved disciple, we're told, who had seen Jesus teach and, and eat and, and fish and heal and laugh and love and cry and die. And yet, for Simon, John's brother, who became known as Peter, John and Peter became, in Jesus' words, eyewitnesses to his majesty. Second Peter. And at the end, towards the end of John's life as an older man, we get this letter, this book, this apocalyptic story, this vision, revelation. 
And John, having encountered Jesus at the side of the sea, and Jesus said, come follow me, John. And, and John did, never really looking back. And yet at the end of John's life, John describes this astonishing vision of Jesus. Rightly so that Revelation is at the end of the Bible, at the end of the New Testament. Understand it because it deals with end times and last days and, and things to come. Naturally, it's there. And the end chapters, 2021, speak of the new era and the full and complete and wonderful reign of God, of God amongst humanity and humanity, people reunited face to face. And yet, Revelation, this letter is also the natural terminus in the scripture because we see God's face again. Jesus is described in all his glory. That John's revelation, his vision here, is this astonishing sight of Jesus. Eyes like flames of fire, a voice like thundering waters. His face was like the sun shining in noonday strength. Think about what he's saying there. He compares the risen Jesus to the sun. I know if you know this, the sun is unthinkably massive. That it contains, get this, 99.8% of the total mass of our entire solar system. 99.8%. And much of that remaining 2.2% is taken up by Jupiter, a planet which it is, itself, it is in itself 318 times the size of our planet. And on this planet, this ball, this rock, this globe, we're perhaps just one seventh billionth of the population. A few of us gathered here, but across every nation and continent, across the oceans and mountain ranges, with a close to 7,000 different languages. What am I driving at? Well, in other words, compared to me and you, the sun is pretty massive. And yet John, in his painting of this picture of Jesus, wants them to consider what it means for Jesus' face to be like the sun shining in full strength. The light of the sun has been sustaining every life form on the planet for its entire history. And so has Jesus, only more so. As John reflects on the brightest thing in his experience by far, the sun is so dazzling that we can't look into it without being blinded, even though it's nearly 100 million miles away. And yet Jesus' brilliance is more so. Did you know that the sun is so bright that every year the sun's light simply shining upon cold and barren places causes life and growth to burst up from the barren ground where there was previous emptiness and wilderness life. So does Jesus bring this and only more so. That the sun is so powerful. Of course, John wouldn't be able to frame it in this language but he knew the sun was powerful and warm. Did you know that the sun was so powerful that in one second, one second, 
take your pick of which one. It emits more energy than we human beings have generated across the whole of human history. They've calculated it to be 92 billion one megaton nuclear bombs every second. Wow. The sun is powerful. So is Jesus more so. And it's necessary to remember this as we trust him. It's necessary to have our sketch of Jesus refashioned. In a world and a culture where Jesus is often depicted as this helpless baby and a dying victim or merely a wise teacher or a comforting friend, of course he is those things, but John finishes the picture. Listen to John, Jesus' best friend who traveled and eaten with and relaxed and served and worked and shared life with him. And still he would point you to Revelation 1. This inspiring, gobsmacking description that stretches our view of this brilliant, brilliant Jesus. So it begs the question, how do we see Jesus? What's your preferred image or mindset or conception when we approach him, we think of him, we consider him? I think when I've thought about it, I've always, I, I think I tend to come with the same one. When, when we're asked in open church to say, you know, give thanks or talk about one of the images of Jesus, is it a similar one often? When we study his teaching, when we read of Jesus, do we actually allow it to expand our view of this wonderful, most human alive son of God? Or do we filter him and fit him to a particular worldview or theology? Ron's message to us two weeks ago really spoke into that. I shared his talk with a friend and he said, yeah, I found it so refreshing because it expanded his understanding of what being a follower looked like. That it isn't all roses and all simplicity and, 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 and that the, the, the character of our happiness is an exact reflection of our depth of our faith. His picture was enlarged. Perhaps you get excited, and rightly so, about the forgiveness Jesus brings. Absolutely, his forgiveness is full and final and complete and wonderful in his grace and mercy abound. But does that, drawing close to this wondrous Jesus, stir change in us of our behavior and life? With Jesus, he is our friend and brother and our king and mighty God and bright, shining sun. Is a view of Jesus and our understanding and appreciation and love for growing or waning, enlarging or stuck and static? Maybe one of the things to point out this evening as John reflects on the brilliance of the shining sun in all its strength, there's something more about Jesus, that the sun rises and the sun sets. 
But here, Jesus shines. Constantly. Always. To dispel fear and disillusionment. To recognize that he is Lord. No other. For John... And this vision recorded these wonderful, wonderful words. As John saw him, as he now is, as we sung, he is the risen king. He is reigning and ruling as he now is and always will be. With his face shining like the sun in full strength. John's reaction It's perhaps no surprise. And I pray we would continue to react like John did. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Let's pray.